All right. Hey, I am here with Aaron Crisales, the director of uh, South of Heaven. If you guys remember from my review I did a couple weeks ago, it's an indie film starring Jason Sudeikis, Evangeline Lilly, and Mike Coulter, which uh, I couldn't stop gushing about. And actually, if you have AMC+, Plus, you can go watch it right now for free. Um, and you definitely should. But Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, so just real quick, just tell us a little bit about yourself um, and, you know, um, maybe what you're working on right now. And then we can get into more about your past and, and definitely get into more of South of Heaven and, you know, what's uh, what the future holds. So I just came back to London for after three weeks in my home country, uh, you know, Israel, Tel Aviv. Uh, I was promoting the film South of Heaven over there. It just premiered there. Um, and it was amazing. People are loving it over there. And these days I'm working on a couple of scripts that I wanted to, you know, I want to make next. One of them is like a deconstruction of a superhero genre. Um, let's say uh, a sort of Citizen Kane meets Superman. All right. Uh, where, yeah where Lois Lane is kind of, you know, trying to figure out the, the enigma of the superhero and what's happened to him as he's no longer uh, anywhere around. Okay. Uh, so okay. that's, it's, it's like, you know, it's a little bit like South of Heaven. I'm taking like a genre and, I'm, mm -hmm. you know, I'm crushing, crushing it under <laughs> my, <laughs> well, under the hammer. So there's a lot of like, like you know, I'm, I'm really into comic books and there's a lot of writers out there that are really interested in like deconstructing things. Um, and like with South of Heaven, you, you definitely de deconstructed that like little noir drama uh, genre, but you also built it back up at the end. Like it was a darker movie than I was expecting, um, which I enjoyed, but you, you definitely like finished on a high note with, you know, the um, with Annie and Jay. Yeah. Yeah. And and um, I, I like that's I think that's the thing I appreciated the most about the movie. Or not Jay, Jimmy, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I understood who you were referring yeah. to. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I told you I'm bad with yeah. names. So that's fine. Uh, yeah, you know the the movie was born out of, uh, out of a love story, you know, it's my love letter to my wife Lilach and while playing with, you know, the genre that I want to, you know, write the movie to, I knew that the, the one genre as an Israeli that really always I was fascinated with was the Texas noir. Mm -hmm. Because as a kid who grows up in Israel, which is the opposite of Texas, <laughs> there is something so alluring in Texas because it's like, you know, it's part a Western, the genre, and part a crime film. So you have both worlds living at the same time. Right. And and I like, you know, movies about uh, protagonists or heroes with no with no luck, right? Mm -hmm. That everything bad happens to them, like Nicolas Cage in Red Rock West or uh, Sean Penn in U-Turn or, you know, you know, those, those are the movies that I that, that always, you know, makes me like, oh, my God, this is so out there. It's crazy. And, and, you know, so when I thought about where should I uh, put my love letter to my wife, I said it has to be a Texas noir. All right. Um, 
because this movie deals with time, right? Mm-hmm. It's a guy who comes out of prison and he wants, and he has one year to give to his uh, loving, you know, partner in life before she dies from lung cancer. So I knew it, this movie would be about time, will deal with time. And Texas is a place stuck in time for me. Have you, had you been to Texas before you filmed? Yeah, okay. I've been three times in Austin. Okay. Uh, but it's different than the place I shot the film in, which is Dallas. And Dallas right. is the opposite of Austin. Oh, they're, yeah, two completely different cities. Um, just not just in size and, and just kind of uh, what happens there, but the people in, in both towns. It's like, how are you even in the same state? <laughs> Yeah, Austin is definitely, you know, uh, <laughs> a different or strange place oh, in, yeah. in Texas. I've, uh, I spent, um, I had a job where I was spending like eight days a month down in Austin. Um, I'm in like the middle of the country in Ohio. Um, and it was great. Did you have any favorite restaurants down there in Austin? Well, I don't remember because oh. the last time I was there was like, I think with the ABCs of death, like five or six oh, years okay. ago. okay. So it's been a while. Okay, okay. Um, but, but but I did eat a lot and gain a lot of weight. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to do down there with, because there's so much good food. Um, so you, you said you like the down on your luck, like uh, antagonist or protagonist. Are, are you a big like Peter Parker fan then, like with Spider-Man? Because like he's got that like Parker luck. He's always trying to redeem him, himself for something he's done that's kind of boneheaded. Yeah, I think Spider-Man is one of my favorite heroes. Um, also because I was always told I look like uh, <laughs> Tobey Maguire when oh, I was okay. younger. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, yeah, that's good. That's... I'm just kidding. But but you, yeah, did, yeah. Did you go I mean, around? There's something... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, there, there's something about Peter Parker that, you know, that I really enjoy reading and watching because he, he has... Yeah, he's like very, he's like, you know, an everyday kind of guy that everything uh, bad happens to him. And I think those are the kind of things I, I always uh, am attracted to. Um, my favorite Bible story is the, the book of Job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was all about a guy who just have a raw deal, like yeah. the gods <laughs> are messing with him. And he's a part of a wager. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and South of Heaven, you know, stem from that kind of tale, like yeah. the Book of Job. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy's Jimmy's kind of caught in between, um, you know, Schmidt and then Wit and everything, and you know, the whole like prison system and what he wants to do for Annie. So yeah, that makes perfect sense now that you say that. Um, so before we started recording, you were talking about, you know. Um, these are the type of movies you like to make. This is your brand. Um, do you do you have a specific like writing process when when you go into this? Because so far you've written everything you've directed. Um, are you interested in directing other people's words or having other people direct your words? And I guess what what process do you go through creatively to you know bring us these kind of these kind of movies? Yeah, well, I'll start with the last question. Uh, I I don't think I'll ever write for someone else because um, not because I'm greedy, but because you know, as a writer director, all you ever dream of is getting off your ass and going to shoot a movie on set with actors and crew. So it's it's a very 
um, masochistic life uh, because <laughs> while you write, you are not able to shoot, right? So if I write something, it's for me <laughs> because if I give it to somebody else, I just need to write another one and then I will never get to go right. to a set again. Um, as for, you know, uh, directing others people awards, uh, I'm all about it. I think it's a mistake every student make when he comes out of school, when he thinks he needs to be an auteur. And auteur means to most people is I'm a writer director. I don't think it's right. I think uh, a lot of directors uh, put their own stamp on scripts that other people wrote and people should be reminded that Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese, for example, or very prophetic um, filmmakers usually don't write their own movies, right. but you know, enjoy other people's works. So, no, I will. If I see something that I like that somebody else wrote, I, I'll be all over it. And as for my own process, the way I, I use, I, I usually work is I'm looking for a way to. Uh, deconstruct something that everybody saw a thousand times. So, mm -hmm. which maybe is my first movie, which was the first Israeli slasher film. I saw lots of slasher films uh, in my time. In Israel, nobody ever worked on a slasher movie. So I asked myself, what will be the most Israeli thing to do to an Israeli slasher film? Like, how will an Israeli slasher will look in Israel. So in Israel, there's a joke about people who works in certain, you know, uh, uh, aspects like um, drillers and stuff like that, that they always do like half a job, not the whole job, right? Mm -hmm. They always fix something and they, they fix something, but ruin something else. There's a joke about how, uh, the, you know, people work in Israel. So we thought that the best thing to do in a slasher movie is to have uh, your typical 15 minutes of a slasher film where, you know, you have the kids, you know, the, the teenagers who comes with a car, takes a wrong turn, enter the woods, and there's a killer on the loose, right? Right. But then what we did is we, we uh, our killer gets a tranquilizer dart in his ass and he falls asleep for the entire duration of the film. So he doesn't kill anybody. It's just all the character inside the woods starts to kill each other because of, you know, misunderstandings and, and betrayal. And so, and he wakes up only after 90 minutes well, well, after everybody almost died. <laughs> so my way of thinking is just give the audience the first 15 to 20 minutes you always saw in films. Right. And then start ruining it. But <laughs> like, like smash it with everything you've got. So Big Bad Wolves, the second one I did was like your typical, uh, I, I, in, I took two movies, two types, the Dirty Harry genre mm -hmm. movie with a vigilante cop and the revenge film with the avenging father. Right. And, as if they're meeting each other in one movie and going, it, it, you know, ruining each, each other's plans. And so the first 15 to 20 minutes is your typical uh, a cop. You know, he gets a, he's the murderer and he wants to, you know, put him in jail, but he's doing a mistake. And now, you know, he needs to do something to bring justice to the world. And the same is with the father. So after 20 minutes, the movie becomes this, crazy fable about a, a father and a cop 
who needs to cooperate in order to, you know, squeeze a confession out of a suspected pedophile. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and with this movie, South of Heaven, I'm taking the old genre of a guy gets out of prison, wants to go straight, and he has this vicious, you know, uh, parole officer that ruins everything for him. Mm-hmm. But that's just, you know, half of the, half of the story, like right. third of the story. Uh, and then everything, you know, gets torn apart and de- deconstructed. Who's the get- good guy? Who's the bad bu- guy? Who's you know? Who's white? Who's black? Right. Is black is black is ba- black is bad or is it good too? You know, I, 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 I. There's a funny thing about you know South of Heaven that somebody a- asked if it, the movie is racist for casting a, a black actor into the role of Price, and I'm like, no, this is the point. You know, it's a movie about gray areas, about finding light in darkness, about finding good in bad and bad in good. And, and it was for me, it was like a choice, but a choice to show something that is so inherent in American yeah. movies of a certain age that I want to deconstruct and, and you know, show what <laughs> show the wrongness, the, the, right. the way it was portrayed before. And, and do something more interesting with it. I, I feel like the person who asked you that question or wrote that didn't watch the movie because the scene between Price and, and Annie, like you understand like his motivations are not necessarily, I mean, his motivations aren't evil. He's, he's a guy who has a, I mean, at the end of the day, he has a business that he's trying to do and it may not be, you know, on the up and up, but like he loved his wife more than anything. And he loves his kid. And, you know, at at the end of the day, for some people, that's enough. And Jimmy got into this situation, again, like, by happenstance, by with an accident. And, like, you were talking about nothing goes right for him. Um, So, yeah, I I don't – I mean, I don't don't even know how that would cross somebody's mind to to call call it racist. Yeah, I'm like you. Like, if you see the scenes between him and Annie, and if you see the relationship he has with his kid, and if you, even if you see the way he acts in those violent scenes, is him is 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 a businessman. Yeah. It's all business decisions. Like, I need to get my money. I'm doing what I need to get right. the money. I need to get a confession. I will take whatever it needs to take a confession. And he always says, "There's an easier way and a shorter way." Mm-hmm. And be like you know nonviolent, but everybody gets into his way right and yes that, that that's the whole point of the movie the, the whole point of the movie is asking those questions and showing you know how stereotypes are being built in in american cinema which <laughs> i really like love and how you can you know turn them on you know turn them upside down and show something else yeah the, like the scene between best thing I, oh sorry go ahead the the best thing I ever heard about, you know, uh, screenwriting is when you write your, uh, you should write the hero as the villain in the villain's life, mm-hmm. which is a, the smartest way to write a villain, as if the hero is the villain in his plot, right? Mm-hmm. And I always give the example of Die Hard, oh, yeah. which is the best example. You know, Hans Gruber is an amazing um, robber. He just spent two years of his life planning the best, best heist of his life. He recruited guys in Germany and Italy and even one Japanese guy, and they're going to make a a bundle of money. Mm -hmm. They're going to enter the Nakatomi Plaza and make it big time. 
And then this asshole who came to visit his <laughs> wife, that schmuck, John McClane, ruins his life, ruins his life and kills him. And that's the way I think people should, you know, think when they write bad people or villains yeah. into film. That's why you like Hans Gruber, because he's just the guy who's having a bad day the same way John McClane is having the worst day of his life. Yeah. So when I wrote South of Heaven, I said, I want to go even further. I want to make a movie that meet, at midpoint changes the villain. Mm -hmm. And at, at minute 75, almost three quarters, two thirds into the film, or two thirds, three quarters, you have something weird happening between the good guy and the bad guy, yeah. the protagonist and the protagonist. Yeah, that's great. I mean, like Cobra Kai, I think, does this really well, too with uh like the johnny and, and and daniel relationship um you know they're both kind of the bad guy in each other's stories yeah because you know johnny's a good guy yeah come on absolutely we all, so we all, we all watched johnny how was. i met your mother it was yeah you know he was the karate <laughs> kid um so what inspired you to to become a filmmaker actually it's a it's a, it's a weird it's a weird accident. I could say very honestly that um, I did three movies more than I expected to do. <laughs> and I only did three, right? Because I was, I when I grew up, I wanted to be a film critic and a, a film teacher. Because mm -hmm. more than watching movies, more than want to make movies, I like to talk about movies and dissect them. And even in my school yearbook, you know, the elementary school yearbook, there's a, a weird photo of me dressed as Freddy Krueger and on my head it's written that in 10 years I will probably be a film critic or a film teacher not a film director right and yeah so at age 25 I achieved both those goals I became a film critic in Israel and also a film teacher at the Tel Aviv University where I learned myself so did you teach film studies then yeah yeah so yeah. I, I this is yeah. this is really weird. So my, my degree is in journalism. I minored in film studies. Um, I was actually going to go to grad school to get my MFA and my PhD in film studies. Um, and I ended up getting a job and not going. But um, I became a reporter for a little while. But I uh, like I wanted to be a film critic so bad. And so when I read that you taught, I was like, oh, this is great. Um, and I think so from 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 me reading that, knowing that and hearing what you just said, like your perspective as a critic and the way you like, especially with South of Heaven, like deconstructed everything that makes a hundred percent sense to me. Yeah. Well, I think so. I think because it's, it's funny because I made, I, I made a seminar about, you know, slasher films mm -hmm. and that became sort of, you know, um, rabies. And then I, I, I made a, a big dissertation about revenge films mm -hmm. in which I, you know, dissected films from, you know, Korea, like Old Boy. Uh, and then I made, you know, Big Bad Wolf, which is like, you know, taking that, you know, that dissertation and making it into a film. Mm -hmm. And and I made a, a, a couple of, uh, you know, seminars and uh, uh, about uh, film noir and Texas noir in specific. So when I sit to write a, a script, I usually look at the genre and representations and I think most of my ideas of deconstructing and how to deconstruct and what what's the meaning of everything 
you see in American movies comes very naturally to me because that's all I did through my, you know, years of learning and, and teaching. Cool. That's awesome. I, I, th I think that's so cool. And I think it gives you a unique perspective as a filmmaker too, to have the background of, of, you know, um, not just making movies in the, the technical side of making movies, but the, you know, the psychological and, and, you know, kind of art from the other side of things. Like how do I take and build on something that's existed or, you know, deconstruct something that's existed in a, in a good way and, and not just, you know, try and ruin things. Yeah, well, the, the easiest way is just to ruin things. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, we've got a bunch of yeah, Star Wars yeah, yeah. movies that have, have shown us that, how easy it is to ruin something good. Oh, yeah, no, that's, it, it, that's it, really cool. Yeah, smashing stuff is fun, but, you know, I like to smash things in order to say something. So that's how I think. Like, if I, if I take a, you know, a, a tranquilizer dart into his, the killer's ass, I'm not doing it just for the joke of it. I'm right. just... It's, it's like, okay, what happens when uh, uh, the killer is asleep? Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make, a it's a metaphor. It's called rabies, but there's no rabies in you. It's like <laughs> a metaphor for this kind of disease that it's in the Israeli uh, mentality that everybody has a short fuse and everybody's very tense and violent in our country. Um, so I wanted to show how this turmoil of, you know, craziness uh, just makes people kill each other without even a, you know, a killer needing to do the job. We're just doing it to ourselves. Uh, so find something that you could ruin, but make sure there's a subtext to it. And that's, you know, what, what I always do while I write. That's great. That is great. Um, uh, okay. So tell me a little bit about what it was like. I mean, we talked about this off air already, but, uh, tell me a little bit about what it was like working with, with Jason and Evangeline and Mike, um, again, like on myself and Daryl, my co-host, we're, we're big fans of all, all three of these actors. Um, and you had said this was your first time working with, you know, A-list actors or Hollywood, yeah. let yeah. me rephrase, A-list Hollywood actors. Yeah. Well, yeah, I work with the A-listers in Israel, but right. you know, you always hear the, the tales of Hollywood about, <laughs> you know, the craziness or the, 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 the American star and, mm -hmm. you know, Bruce Willis with Kevin Smith on, you know, Cop Car, uh, um, not Cop Car. Uh, it was, uh, oh, it was Cop something. Um, yeah. I, but, you know, I, Kevin Smith and Bruce Willis or, you know, Christian Bale throwing a mm -hmm. fit. Um, and, you know, you always hear and you're, you're just like, what's going to happen to me on my first <laughs> journey to the U.S.? Uh, but then I met uh, the best uh, people in the world mm -hmm. because... Jason Sudeikis and and um, Evangeline Lee, Michael Terry, Shea Wiggum and Jeremy Bob and you know Pare. There's so many good guys there, but they were all so warm to me. I don't know if it's because I came from Israel and they saw this you know uh, little guy and they just wanted and I look like a koala bear, so maybe just want to hug me and be good to me and be nice to me. But they really uh, nurtured me and and it was amazing and it's. It's interesting because they all have a different approach to uh, to acting or even for this movie. Everybody came with their own set of uh, ideas and it was in incredible. It was like a, a learning curve for me because Jason was like, I, 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 I always remember that because when we met him, he was the funniest guy, just the guy you saw on SNL mm -hmm. and you even 
invited us to play state to play PlayStation with him. And it it was such a character and such, you know, somebody that you just know is gonna do like uh gags on the on the set. But then when he you know when he landed in the in Texas, he just said Aaron, I'm gonna be very serious in this movie because it's very easy for me to go to my usual shtick mm-hmm. and I want to make the best Jimmy Ray for you. So I'm gonna go full methoding on this character and I'm not gonna be joking around right. and there will not be laughter. So <laughs> you're you like, know, this is not this uh, is not the actor I paid for. No, you're gonna choke. <laughs> Going to do pranks. <laughs> well, I paid. I paid for that actor, yeah. but no prank for me. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the case. You know, it was like, I remember the first day of shoot. It's the the, the scene where he goes out of prison and he's going out somber look in his eyes and he's so sad. And then you know we do the first take and then Evangeline runs to me and she says. Aaron, don't you think uh, Jason is a, is a tad too serious? Like he's seeing me for the first time and he needs to run over to me and it needs to be like with a crescendo of emotions and, and he, needs, he should smile to me. And I told him, look, I think Jason has uh, an interpretation of Jimmy mm-hmm. and the feeling he has right now. I think you should be the way you just uh, explained to me, which is like a, an emotional roller coaster seeing Jimmy after all these years. Right. But Jason... Jason plays Jimmy. He's a guy who just robbed 12 years out of your life because mm-hmm. he was there, you were outside, and now you're dying. So he cannot be all, you know, uh, smiles and laughter. And, you know, so we did another take. And then she watched it, uh, how it looks in the, you know, in the establishing yeah. shot. And, and she saw how great that feeling of him not knowing how to feel and her knowing exactly how to feel. And that sets the tone for the entire movie because he is a guy who cannot let go of the past. So that's why he has like a dual layered performance where he's sad and also optimistic. But she she, she wants to live in the now mm-hmm. uh, and just hug the present and the fact that he's coming back to her. But he doesn't allow her. So she has the duality of her performance because he doesn't allow her to be at the place she wants to be. So it's yeah. sad and joyful for her. And when she saw that happening on this on the monitor, she was like, oh my God, that's so beautiful. That's so honest. And that's the way we I directed the movie with both of them and all the actors. I, I like to dance with them. Yeah. I never be, you know, I never come as a dictator and saying, no, 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 look, Jason, you need to you need to laugh now, you need to smile now. When he told me he needs to be a broken man mm-hmm. in this movie. I just, you know, I went along with it. I just watched the first scene so I could set the tone inside myself. And then, you know, I just knew how how he will dance for the entire movie. Yeah. And 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 Evangeline, she also did something for me. Like that's why I'm saying like the, the best story about Evangeline Lily is like, you should sit down for this one and see how we're getting an art attack yourself. I'm, you know, talking with Evangeline about the, the character and stuff and how she wants to play it. And she, you know, she loves the script and she wants to be like bipolar in this movie. And then one day I'm like, you know, entering into like most of us into Instagram, watching <laughs> photos. And I'm seeing a photo of Evangeline uh, without the left or right side of her hair. Like she did a little mm. mohawk, but not, or not everything, just like one third on the side. I'm like, oh my God, we have like six weeks until pre-production. What is she doing? 
I'm like, and that was like just the first photo. Apparently there was a whole video that I, that I didn't see on our story. So, I'm, you know, I'm clicking the story and then I see that she continues and asking, you know, if she should <laughs> go through with it. By the time I finished the story on Instagram, she's like G.I. Jane. Like there's no <laughs> nothing there. And I'm like calling Evangeline and I'm like, what you're doing? Yeah, well, I thought she's, you know, she's doing, you know, treatments mm -hmm. and, you know, cancer and she needs to look that way. And I'm like, Evangeline, look, we, <laughs> we talked about it. She, she let go. Right. She knows she's going to die. She's not doing uh, anything. She just wants to live in the now. And she said, you're, well, you're right. So, okay, can we do a wig? And I'm like, no, I hate wigs. <laughs> I hate wigs. It's so unnatural. So I asked her, how long will it take you to uh, have your hair at the right length for like a pixie cut? Mm -hmm. She said, I think in six weeks it will be okay. So I sent her like photos of Gene Seberg from, you know, Breathless and Mia mm -hmm. Farrow from Rosemary's Babies with the, you know, with the platinum hair yeah. and I told her, what do you think? And she was like, oh my God. And what? so she did that. She dyed her hair. And then we decided that Annie, uh, and I always told her that when she read the script, it represents the sun for me. Mm -hmm. She's the only sun in the movie. Yeah. She's the only op optimistic. And she's an agent of light. And, and that was how, you know, Annie was born into life from a mistake. Like the, her look, yeah. her look was born out of, a, you know, Evangeline wanted to do something, one thing for the character, and then I did something else, and then you know, and I think you could see it. She looks like a radiant sun in this movie more than any other movie. That I and, and it's funny because we didn't use a lot of light on her, right? Uh, because it's not Hollywood. Right. <laughs> There's no. <laughs> I thought it was like an appropriate hairstyle for her too, just because it was so like. Um... It was so styled and, and you know, the, the, the dye and, and the hair dye and everything. And because she was a hairdresser and she her character got in cancer from the chemicals as a hairdresser. And it's like she's going out kind of with the like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to look awesome. And, and you know, I, I've, I've dedicated my life to helping these other women look beautiful. And, and I'm going to make sure that I do, too. Yeah, that was the most important thing for me because, you know, I, I come from a family that, that has cancer and, you know, and, and my wife too. And, mm. and I wanted to make a film in which, you know, you depict a, a, a cancer patient as an agent of life. Yeah. Uh, which not to spoil things and I don't want to talk about it, but you should consider the fate of um, any, uh, the only person who was about to die in the movie and the rest of the characters right. when you see the movie. And right, it's very right, right. ironic. Yeah, and I very don't want to spoil the, 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 the very, very end or anything like that either. Um, so you've worked with two Marvel actors now. Is there an MCU movie? Like, is there a, a script that you have in your head? Like, you know, maybe I, maybe I want to I write that next X-Men movie or <laughs> something. I don't think they will allow me ever to direct my... Uh... Like, like the big studios. I don't yeah. think Marvel and Disney no. ever approached me to uh, do something for them. But I will definitely, I'm tapping into the, you know, superhero right. thing these days. Uh, and I'm, I'm writing uh, some sort of uh, quirky rendition of a Superman tale as, as a Citizen Kane kind of movie. You know, where you, you have your Lois Lane as a, as a journalist who's right. trying to investigate the disappearance of Superman. Did you uh, did very... you watch Brightburn 
from uh, a few years ago where yeah, it was like like I thought that was a great deconstruction of like the whole like Superman mythology as a kid and uh when we reviewed that show uh or that movie I had said that the, these were the characters that Zack Snyder set up as the parents for for Clark Kent um this is the Superman he became with the Mon Pa Kent from the Snyderverse because they were every bit as big a monsters as what Brightburn was that's that's really interesting. Yeah, but you know, Brightburn is the kind of movie that you 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 know when you see. I like those kind of movies mm -hmm. where you see the reels in the in in a very twisted uh, mind of a writer and a director turning and, and and the fun you're having with stuff that you should ask yourself like, and that's how you write, right? right. When I you know approach writing is. What kind of thing would I have been doing if I, I was Superman? Like, if I was a fire starter, what would the first thing I'll do? I'll probably set something on fire, right? You know, I'm not going to be... And, and and usually, you know, Hollywood doesn't like those kind of moments, but kids are very vicious, right? <laughs> right. And that, let's be frank. Uh, you know, they're vicious characters. And, I, you know, Sam Peckinpah always showed kids playing with ants or, and, and killing crabs. And, and, you know, he always saw the, the evil at a very early age. And, and I think kids are vicious. You know, we were playing with animals and we're doing horrible stuff at times and trying to, you know, always show uh, 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 an optimistic fairy tale is just so weird for me because your mind always go as a kid for the worst thing you could do with powers, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you, you probably try and set something on fire yeah. or a person you really, or even, you know, if somebody really annoys you, you'll probably have him burn in front of your eyes because you just can, right. you know, you can do it. Right. Why not? Right, right. So, uh, all right. So what, what's next? Um, what, like you've got your, your deconstruction of Superman. Um, I think you have a couple things in, in post-production maybe. No, no, oh. I'm, I'm right now. Uh, no, no, I'm uh, I'm working on a couple of scripts. Okay. And I'm reading a lot of stuff that I've been hand, hand, handed to, and yeah, I'm picking the, the next one. Awesome, you know? awesome. It, it's that time in your life when you get stuff and you need to decide. Right. It's hard. Yeah, I bet. All right, so my last question, I ask everybody this: uh, What do you what are you watching and reading right now? I'm watching. The Righteous Gemstones on TV and Yellow Jackets. Those are the two shows I'm watching right now. I have to say they're amazing. Are, are you watching them? Uh, I haven't watched Yellow Jackets, but I am a huge fan of the Jody Hill, Danny McBride team. Um, you know, Righteous Gemstones is great. I loved Vice Principals and Eastbound and Down, I think, is a masterpiece of comedy. Um so, but Yellow Jackets is on my list to to you know to watch it at some point as I get caught up on things. So those are the two shows I watched. I'm watching right now. Mm -hmm. um, just about to finish them, and they're great. The mm -hmm. second season of Gems, amazing. Yeah, um, I loved what they did with Eli. Um, you know, with with his it, backstory as a professional wrestler and all of that stuff has been great. Yeah, this this yeah this season is almost the Coen Brothers. Fargo mm -hmm. season, you know, the flashbacks are yep. so smart and it's amazing. And <laughs> the last film I watched, uh, which, you know, you need a, a whole show to dissect and discuss is Moonfall because oh. I, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I, I watched like, I watched June and uh, Moonfall in one week. Okay. Um, and 
it was weird. Yeah. It's a weird just supposition. It's but a, yeah. yeah, Moonfall is a weird film. It's like I I I I'm still trying to wrestle with what I watched because it's it's weird. It's the guy who did Independence Day. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to understand some of the his, you know, um choices in this movie. I feel like I feel like Roland Emmerich's main like goal for making a movie is what can I destroy and how destroyed can it be on screen? Um, And, and that's where, that's what he has fun doing and and writing the different things that are gonna, gonna blow up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But you know, there's a whole bunch of great stuff these days and you know, yeah. My favorite film, um, you know, was I, I love Dune and I loved um, Jane Campion's Power of the Dog very much. Mm-hmm. I think she 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 did an amazing job. So cool. these are like, yeah. And if you like Japanese movie, everybody should watch Drive My Car. Who got who just got into the Oscars? It's an amazing film. I wrote that down. I'm gonna watch that. Um, well, Aaron, thank you so much for for the time. I mean, we we've been talking for almost 40 minutes, and this has been awesome, and it was great to learn about your process hear your thoughts on south of heaven which i again i loved and i've been telling anybody who will listen to watch it so um i appreciate your time where can everybody find you online to make sure that they can keep up with what you have next uh i'm on twitter okay frankly yeah um yeah i'm on twitter on facebook and yeah i'm there Cool. Yeah, I'll link. I'll link Brian, to your Twitter thank you account. So much. Yeah, I appreciate it so much, man. I, it's, this has been great, and uh, I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you. All right, thank you. The Infamous Podcast is recorded in Kings Mills, Ohio, just north of Cincinnati. You can find new episodes every Sunday on Apple Podcast, YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcast, our website, or anywhere podcasts are downloaded. This show is hosted by Daryl Jasper and me, Brian Tudor. To find more information about the show, visit us at infamouspodcast.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at infamouspodcast to keep up with the show. We also have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash infamouspodcast. We have some great rewards for our patrons and are looking for help to grow the show to bring you more of the content you want to hear. Music for this podcast is provided by Michael Henry from meetmichaelhenry.com. So... Whenever you're listening to us, have a great day, night, evening, weekend, whenever it is, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.